0: Second Samuel chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse 12. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Now, Lord, open our hearts. That we may hear what the Spirit will say. Lord, these these people, they deserve better than what I'm able to give. So I'm asking that you will speak to them while I'm talking. That you'll help us to receive what the Spirit of the Lord says to us today. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. Restore them, Lord. Bring them back. Bring them to their senses. I thank you for doing that. And I pray it in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When the curtain rises on Chapter Four of the Book of First of Second Samuel, excuse me, of the Book of First Samuel, it's a dark, sad day for the nation of Israel. Israel had grown soft and corrupt; they had turned from the true worship and service of God, and now His hand of divine blessing had been removed. With the hedge of protection down, the nation was vulnerable. Taking advantage of the situation, the Philistines had risen up against them with a massive army. Eli was the high priest, the leader of the nation, but he was old and obese and nearly blind. So his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were leading the defense forces against the Philistines, but it was not going well. In a last desperate attempt at victory, Phineas and Hophni had the Ark of the Covenant brought from the tabernacle in Shiloh into the camp of the Israelites. The arrival of the Ark certainly inspired the troops. The sound of their shouting was heard all the way into the encampment of the Philistines. But even though the army of the Israelites was rejoicing and even though the Philistine army was fearful, apparently God wasn't very impressed. The next morning... When the battle was engaged, Israel was thoroughly routed and scattered. Hophni and Phinehas were killed. And the ultimate indignity, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the presence of God, the Ark was captured by the Philistines. And news about the death of his sons and the capture of the Ark reached the ears of Eli He was so overcome with grief that he swooned and fell backwards off his seat at the gate of the city, and in the fall, he broke his neck and died. As the news spread to the pregnant wife of Phineas, she went into labor and gave birth to a son whom she named Ichabod, which means no glory, because the glory had departed from Israel with the death of the high priest, the defeat of the army, and the capture of of the ark celebrating the defeat of Israel the Philistines brought the captured ark into the temple of their pagan god Dagon in Ashdod to present it before him as the spoils of war when they returned to the temple the next day their celebrating turned to consternation they found the idol of Dagon toppled over bowing before the ark of the covenant Thinking it to have been some kind of accident, they set Dagon back up. It's bad when you have to prop up your god, isn't it? (laughs) The next time they returned, not only was it toppled over, but it was broken as well. With their triumph reduced to terror, the people of Ashdod moved the ark to Gath. When it arrived in Gath, the people were afflicted with tumors as a result of having the sacred ark of God in their midst. Well, the people of Gath then sent the ark over to Ekron, but the people there refused to receive it because of the calamity that had befallen the other cities. Don't much blame them. Desperate for a solution to the dilemma, the Philistine rulers decided to build a new cart, hitch some oxen to it, and they sent the ark back across the border to Israel. The Israelites were so excited to see the ark returned that the men of Beth Shemesh looked into the ark to see if the Philistines had removed any of its contents. And the wrath of God broke out on them because of their irreverence and destroyed over 50,000 of the men. Fearfully the ark of God was sent to kiriath Jearim for 20 years. Finally it ended up in the house of Abinadab in Gibeah. And for two and a half generations, the ark was essentially abandoned and forgotten. Godly Samuel, the prophet judge, never attempted to move it. Neither did Saul, the first king of Israel. The people continued to offer sacrifices at the tabernacle in Shiloh. But there was no ark of God in the Holy of Holies. There was no holy smoke. Signaling the divine presence, filling the sanctuary. God was not in the midst of his people. They had the form, but not the power. It wasn't until David had solidified Israel into a secure kingdom that yearning for this visible symbol of God to be at the center of the nation's worship caused him to seek to bring the ark into the capital city of Jerusalem. David understood that it isn't enough to have religious ritual and meaningful traditions. It isn't enough to simply adhere to a code of conduct. And I would tell you out of that today, it isn't enough to have exciting programs or beautiful music or powerful orators in the pulpit. The greatest need of the church isn't better education to increase our knowledge about God. It isn't greater acceptance of the church by the general public. It isn't to have influence in the halls of government. The greatest need is for the glory of God to fill our lives. The greatest need is the divine presence of God in our midst. The greatest need is to be filled with the Spirit of God and for the church to operate in the dynamic of the power of the Spirit. See, if the Spirit isn't at work, then all we have is a social gathering. If we don't have the Spirit, we are bankrupt. If we don't have the Spirit, then we have nothing of value to offer a hurting world. But when His glory is present, the sick are healed. When His glory is present, the broken are made whole. When His glory is present, the aimless are given purpose. When His glory is present, the bound are delivered. When His glory is present, lost sinners are saved and prepared for eternity. I want to tell you, you don't need information about God. You need God. You don't need more knowledge. You need better relationship. The great need is the presence of God. And in this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that is the backdrop for the text for the message today, we learned something about the praise that ushers in the presence of God that can transform our lives. And the first thing to recognize in this story is that when David gets ready to move this ark to Jerusalem, his motive was pure. In Psalm 132, verses 1 through 5, David sang about his desire for the presence of God and his determination to place God at the center of the nation over which he was king. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, he wrote, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of, his, of Jacob, surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob." Well, even though David's motive was pure, this story reveals that David's method was wrong when he started the process. See, when David first tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he, he, he imitated a religious world. He followed the same procedure the Philistines had used years before. Remember what he did? He built a brand new cart, hitched up a couple of oxen. The ark of the covenant was placed on this new cart to be brought into the city now, I'm sure it was a grand cart, because David never did anything halfway. And yet, with all the pomp and pageantry of the parade, there was a problem. See, it, when you read this story and read the whole chapter, as the as they were crossing the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and the ark began to sway on this cart. Uzzah, one of the sons of Abinadab, remember, Abinadab is the house that they got the cart or the ark from. It had been, Uzzah grew up with this thing. He played around it as a little boy. Uzzah, one of the sons of Abinadab, who was walking beside the cart, reached out his hand to steady the ark. Didn't seem like a big deal at the time. It was more like a reflex action. I mean, the ark looked like it was going to fall. It would have been disastrous for the ark to be damaged in the midst of this grand celebration. So without even thinking, Uzzah just reached out his hand to steady the ark. What happens next reveals not only that David imitated a religious world, but he also initiated a grievous wrong. Verse 7 says that when the hand of Uzzah touched the sacred ark, the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him down there for his irreverence and he died there by the ark of God. Now talk about raining on a parade. That'll That'll just ruin the whole thing. See, when the ark was first constructed back in the book of Exodus... God had decreed that it was to be moved from place to place by poles carried on the shoulders of the Levites. Well now the rules had been broken. The ark was in a cart. As if that wasn't bad enough, it had now been touched by hands that were not consecrated for service to God. Now think about it. Do you know how how a cart is constructed? A cart is made up of boards and big wheels. That's the way too many churches try to operate. Boards and big wheels. (laughs) It's the way of the flesh, not the way of the spirit. See, I want to tell you, God's way is not the way of the corporation. God's way never says, come see a grand program. God's way never says, come see a charismatic personality. God's way never says, come follow the plan of the latest leadership research. God's way never says, come conform to the latest public opinion poll. God's way is never to imitate some other ministry, no matter how successful that ministry may be. God's way is never to adopt the vision of somebody else. Because anytime you try to do God's work according to man's ways, it always leads to death. Following the fiasco of that first attempt, the Bible says in verse 8 that David became angry. And then verse 9 says David was angry afraid of the Lord he despaired of ever being able to have the glory of God's presence in the midst of his people and then we see here that David's meekness was real see the outburst of God wasn't just against Uzzah it was a rebuke of David as well and his method David's reaction was first anger then despair that led him to reflection but then it led him on to repentance The Bible says that David waited three months, and in that time he searched the word of the Lord for the proper method to transport the ark. Even though he was deeply disappointed at his failure, he understood a central truth. Failure is not final. This ought to encourage somebody today. It's entirely possible that I'm preaching to somebody that has tried to do something for the Lord and your best effort ended in failure. It's possible that I'm preaching to somebody who has tried to live as a spiritual person in a secular world only to stumble and fall. It's possible that I'm preaching to somebody who has done your very best only to get it horribly wrong. You've been humiliated. You've wondered how you could ever face people again. You've despaired of God ever trusting you again. Well, I've come today to tell you failure is not final. The last thing you tried didn't work, so try again. Get up, brush yourself off, get back in the game. God isn't finished with you. Failure is not final somebody ought to praise God for that today failure is not final David was desperate for God's presence no matter how many mighty men were in his army no matter how much gold was in the royal treasury David understood that if he didn't have the presence of God in his midst he would never make it David's motive was pure David's method was wrong David's meekness was real and then I want you to see that David's mission was completed The mission was completed first when he employed the proper methods. And the proper method begins with a right walk. A right walk. God had decreed that the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And no amount of pageantry, no amount of celebration would discount the fact that they were being disobedient when the ark was placed in a cart. And I need to tell somebody that regardless of how spiritual you seem... Regardless of how many good deeds you perform, regardless of how excited and involved you get, if you are disobedient to God's plan and God's will for your life, then you cannot expect to receive his divine approval. Amen. The prophet Samuel told, the king, told King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. See, the path to God's presence begins with obedience. The path to watching the darkness flee begins with obedience. The path to having your enemies crushed begins with obedience. The path to receiving the blessings of the Almighty begins with obedience. obedience. Find what God says to do and do it. Oh, and find what God says to avoid and avoid it. God's presence begins with the right walk, the walk of obedience. And then it includes the right way. God's method isn't only a walk of obedience. It's also a way of sacrifice. Now let me give you a quick illustration of what it might have looked like on that day. I'm going to need four guys to help me. Four volunteers. Come up here real quick. Four guys. Boom, boom, boom. All right. Michael, uh, Tracy, uh, I appreciate you volunteering for me. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, don't make me start calling all your names. Come on up here. Dear mercy. All right. Best we can do. Okay. That'll teach you not to volunteer. All right. Michael and Tracy, I want you to face that way, and I want you to stand side by side just right here. There you go. I want the two of you to stand right behind them, please. All right. Now, back up just a little bit. Good. Perfect. Now, you guys are Levites. I thought you'd feel better about that. but All right. And I'm David, because it's my message, all right, because I get to be David. All right, here's what we're going to do. All of the officials of the land have gathered in their regal robes, and they are lining the parade route. The orchestra is tuned and ready to play the music that has been composed for this special occasion. The singers have put on their finest robes, waiting for the opportunity to present their special anthem. And the Levites, you're standing, that's you guys, remember, you're standing by the poles of the ark. They're, you can't see them right there, but there's actually a pole running on down here and on the out, on the outside of where you are, okay? And you're waiting for the signal to pick that ark up and hoist it onto your shoulders, all right? So that's what's going to happen now. Everybody with me? You see, You see what's going to happen? All right, so here we go. Finally, the moment arrives. The signal is given. Levites bend over. You reach down and you pick up, come on guys, let work with me here. <laughs> and you pick up the pole and you lift it and you put it up on your shoulder. There you go. <laughs> I knew you were going to be troubled the moment you walked up here. There's always one and it's usually you. <clears throat> This, they pick up this incredible wooden box that's overlaid with gold and it has a solid gold lid on the top and it's on their shoulders. And the music conductor gives the downbeat and the orchestra begins to play the most magnificent piece of music ever heard in the land. And the choir begins to sing with a mighty voice an anthem of celebration and worship. And the processional begins. All right, now here we go. Ready? One pace. Two. Two. Three, four, five, six. But before they can go any further, David, shout, stop! Don't take another step. Now, can you imagine the expression on the faces of all the people when he hollers like that? Can you imagine the reaction of the conductor? I mean, I've been around these music guys for a while. You interrupt their music What are you doing? We've been rehearsing for months. Why are you stopping us right in the middle of the piece? Can you imagine these Levites? Now they're standing in the middle of the road, and the weight of the ark is on their shoulders, and they're wondering why they've stopped, and this ark is heavy, and they're starting to sweat. What's wrong, David? Have we had another outbreak like the one against Uzzah? David said, no, set the ark down. And then he says, bring me the sacrificial animals. Thanks, guys. You can, you can have a seat. Appreciate it. The Bible says they offered an ox and a fatling. Now, remember, they went six paces. Then they stopped to offer sacrifice. Now, remember that in the Bible, numbers often have meaning. And in the Bible, the number six is the number of man. When David had them carry the ark six steps and then stop, what he's saying in essence is this. God, we have now come as far as our human ability can bring us. So now we need your help and your anointing if we're going to go any further. Now there's a parallel version of this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. In that passage, it says they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. You put those two stories together, I don't know if it means that the sacrifice happened only one time in the processional and they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams, or if they stopped seven times along the way and they offered these sacrifices, or does it mean they went six steps, then they stopped and sacrificed, then they went six more and stopped and sacrificed, and they went six more and stopped and sacrificed, and they did that all the way to the tent that had been erected in Jerusalem to uh, to house the ark. The Bible isn't really clear about exactly what went on. But this I do know. Man can only do so much. Man can only go so far. And then God has to take over. See, it's important for you to study and work hard and do all You can do it's important for you To discipline yourself and make The sacrifice to pray and To fast and to give and to be Obedient to God's word but when You reach the place where your Best is insufficient When you can't go any further When your strength has failed You when you've reached your human Limitations that's when God Will reach down and he will Empower you with his Holy Spirit He will bring all of his resources To help you in the midst of your need Maybe I'm talking to somebody who feels like you've reached the end of your rope. Maybe you feel like there's no hope for anything to be any different. Maybe you feel like the glory has departed from your life. I want you to know God has resources you haven't even dreamed about. God has strength and help and hope and it's available to you right at the point of your greatest need you want his presence you have to have the right walk you have to have the right way and then I want you to see that the proper method requires the right worship the Bible says that David was leading the processional and was leaping and dancing before the Lord now think about it just a short time before David was rebuked he was angry he was afraid But now here he is leaping and dancing with all his might in celebration and praise. Before I finish this this message, I want to give you three exhortations about this from this story. The first one I would say to you that I see rising from this story is don't let your past stop your praise. Oh, wait a minute, David. Don't you remember how you messed up the last time? Don't you remember how you were disobedient when you put that ark in a cart? Don't you remember how your previous actions brought calamity on the people? How how could you do this? I want to tell you, there are some of you who can't praise God because of being focused on some past failure or because of some current setback. And I want you to know that when you're in the worst shape of your life, that's the perfect time to give God praise. I said, when you're in the worst shape of your life, that's the perfect time to give God praise. I'll tell you this also. You will always have somebody who won't let you forget your past. You will always have somebody sitting over on the sidelines trying to remind you of how you used to be. You will always have somebody acting as an accuser of the brethren. You will always have somebody who can't see past yesterday. What you need to remember is that when God forgives, he forgives completely. He does not hold your past against you. He redeems your past. When you come to him, he makes all things new. So don't let your past stop your praise. Don't let the enemy of your soul rob you of your present blessing. You can't undo the past. But you can start today and write a new future. I'll give you a second exhortation out of this. Don't let your position stop your praise. Verse 14 says, David was wearing a linen ephod. What that means is David had taken off his king's garment that was the mark of his authority, that garment that identified him as having prestige and power and position. He removed the kingly robe and exchanged it for the simple linen robe of a Levite. In that act, he was saying, God, all of the outward trappings mean absolutely nothing. It's not my reputation that's going to worship you today. I'm I'm not wrapped up in my identity. I'm not wrapped up in my agenda. I'm not wrapped up in what everybody else thinks I am. I'm just falling on your grace to accept me and to help me. I'm coming in humility and simply asking for the greatest thing I could ever have from you. I'm asking for your presence. See, something I've discovered is that people may be impressed by your title, but your title doesn't impress God one bit. He isn't impressed by the size of your income. He isn't impressed by the position you hold in the company. He isn't impressed by the number of degrees you hold. He isn't impressed by the things you do that make other people think you're such a good person. Somewhere along the line, you just need to throw all that stuff down and say, God, just forget I'm a pastor. Just forget I'm a leader. Just forget I'm on the board. Just forget I'm in the choir. Just forget I'm on the welcoming team, and I help with the children, and I pay my tithes. Just forget all that stuff. I just want to worship you. David wasn't too proud to show his dependence upon the presence of the Lord. He wasn't too proud to demonstrate his gratitude for the opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise. And he didn't care who saw him. His praise wasn't about impressing the people. It was about celebrating God. So don't let your past stop your praise and don't let your position stop your praise. I got one more for you. Don't let your partner stop your praise. Now, some people who read this story have gotten the wrong idea. They got it out of verse 16 and and following with what, what Michael says. In verse 16, the Bible says that while David was bringing the ark into the city, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window of the palace and saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. It's always been interesting to me that the Bible always refers to Michael as Saul's daughter and not as David's wife. Have you ever noticed that? Anytime it writes it says Michael the daughter of Saul. Have you ever wondered about that? Well she's called Saul's daughter because she had the same bad spirit that her daddy had. See her daddy had that spirit that said if you don't quit singing I'm going to throw a javelin through your heart. If you don't quit worshiping God, I'm just going to kill you. I can't have that around me. That same spirit carried over into his daughter. So when David came home, he said, darling, I'm home. She said, oh, it's you. You can just see the sarcasm dripping off of her. I've been watching you through this upper window. I saw what you were doing out there in the street. You were out there dancing and you uncovered yourself in front of all the maidens. That's what she says. She made it sound like David was exposing himself. He he wasn't dancing naked in the street. Verse 14 clearly says, and David was wearing a linen ephod. The parallel passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 27, makes it even plainer. Here's what that says. Now David was clothed with a robe. A fine linen with all the Levites who were carrying the ark. And the singers and Kenaniah, the leader of the singing with the singers. David also wore an ephod of linen. So he has on a linen robe and a linen ephod. See, here's what's going on. Michael liked the way her daddy had done it. She wanted things dignified. She saw nothing wrong with all the old traditions. She would have been perfectly happy with a new cart. She didn't like all these outward displays of emotion. She didn't like how long the service went as a result of all the stopping and sacrificing after they took six steps. She couldn't handle the fact that the king, who should be above everybody else, was clothed in the simple robe of a Levite. See, Michael loved David as a king, but she hated him as a worshiper. She loved him when he was wearing his kingly robe, but she hated him when he was wearing the garment of praise. But David wasn't about to let his partner stop his praise. He told her, he said, I don't really care what you say or what you do. Your ridicule isn't going to stop my praise. Your rebuke isn't going to stop my praise. Your religious tradition isn't going to stop my praise. He said, sweetheart, let me just tell you, if you think I danced then, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think I shouted then, well, you just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. Well, I just tell you this This Sunday morning at Restoration Church, I wish somebody would determine in your heart, right along with David, I'm going to praise him just a little more than I've ever praised him. I'm going to dance just a little harder than I've ever danced. I'm going to lift my voice a little louder than I've ever lifted it because praise is going to usher in his presence. Don't, don't you, don't you worry if people don't understand it. They can't understand your praise because they haven't been through what you've been through. God hasn't done in their life what he's done in your life. He hasn't brought them from the same place he brought you. After all he's done for you, you've got a right to praise him. Yes, you do. you've got a right to praise him. If it had not been for the Lord, you'd be in the hospital right now. If it had not been for the Lord, you'd be in prison right now. If it had not been for the Lord, you'd be in the grave right now. But God has helped you. God has delivered you. God has redeemed you. God has protected you. Go ahead, put on the garment of praise. Put on the garment of praise. It's your praise that ushers in His presence, and it's His presence that causes you to prevail. Somebody, you need to forget your past, forget your position, forget your partner. Put on the garment of praise. Come on, praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put on the garment of praise right now. Let God touch you let him touch you by his spirit yeah, let him touch you by his power
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. oh so rejoice be glad rejoice be oh my soul for the lord your god he reigns forever
0: this and we got to get out of here so we get another crew in here to praise the Lord. It was this praise that brought the presence of God into right. the midst of his people. And it was the presence of God that then extended the borders of the kingdom to the largest degree that it has ever been before or since. I want to tell you, God wants to enlarge your borders. And He'll do it by His divine presence working in your life. And His presence comes in through your praise. When when calamity strikes, what we tend to do is Pull in. It's a protective mechanism. Right? Come on. Am I, am I making sense? Is, is this true? We 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 pull in. But in the midst of calamity, if you will resist that urge and you will instead say, in the middle of the struggle, I'm gonna go ahead and praise instead of shrinking, it will actually enlarge. See, I believe that what God wants to do with somebody is somebody that's gone through some just horrible stuff. God wants to enlarge you beyond anything you ever imagined. He wants to use that as a platform to enlarge He wants to bring you contacts that you never would have gotten any other way connections He wants to He wants to bring in resources that's going to expand and open up new venues and new avenues I'm talking to somebody right now that God is as you praise oh but pastor I don't feel like that that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise if it didn't cost you something it wouldn't be a sacrifice if you go ahead and praise him in the middle of the storm he'll he'll begin to push things back and he'll begin to open and enlarge your footprint Somebody, somebody that would receive that, just just lift your hand and say, "Lord, I'll receive that for me." It may not be for everybody. That's okay, but it's for somebody. I'll I'll receive it. He's going to open doors through your praise and expand your horizons and ex- expand your footprint, expand your possibilities, so that he'll get glory out of it, because you'll know you you didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> But God will bring people into your life that you haven't even met right now. And God will use people that you met a while ago, but you thought that door had been closed because you haven't had any contact with them for a while. But suddenly, contact will be reinitiated. Not because of something you did. They'll call you. Because your praise is going out and ushering in His presence, and His presence will attract His favor and His blessing. That's the word of the Lord to somebody today, right now. One more time, would you just give Him a praise in this house?
1: Yes, He reigns! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I believe it, Lord. I believe it. I believe your word.